Welcome to this podcast from the Vessel Collective Church here in the heart of Texas. Our mission is to be vessels of the living Christ, set apart for His purpose and His kingdom. We thank you for sharing in this message here today. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. Uh, you know, what we've been doing in our uh, teaching series here in John is something that uh, I haven't actually been involved with in any church I've personally gone to. So I just wanted to pull back the curtain a little bit and let you know how we're going through the series. If you notice, we have a teaching team that's been uh, going through the series. And, uh, um, and let me let you know how that happened. Uh, Jake, there's some of us that Jake has been uh, working with and done ministry with over the many years that we've been, uh, this church has been in existence, and he gathered four of us together before the series started, and we all read through John, and we discussed together how should the sermon series be set up, and how, how should we share it together, and what way we should share it together, and, and we planned it out, uh, gave input to plan it all out together, um, and then... Um, and actually, I don't know if, if you remember this, Jake has mentioned it before, but there are actually two people, two teachers from the team that are assigned to each weekend. There's the one that you see preaching, and then there's the one that's assigned to help prepare. And that's the part that's different that I actually have not experienced uh, in, in before. So like the opening of the series, when Jake preached the intro, uh, Steve Shaver was actually assigned to help him prepare. Jake was the preacher, but there were two of them preparing. The next week with Nicodemus, it was uh, Jake was preaching, but it was me, and Jake and I helped Jake prepare. The next week, uh, the woman, uh, woman at the well, Jake preached, but Sean helped him prepare. And then last week, Sean preached with the, from the, the healing at the pool of Bethesda. Jake helped him prepare. And then this week, even though you see just me, Steve uh, Shaver helped me prepare. So when we're speaking up here, we're speaking on, be, uh, uh, on behalf of a community that is prepared. And we did that on purpose. We didn't do it to make, uh, to make it less work. It's actually more work to do it that way. Um, but similarly, as you notice um, from the worship team, there's a different, usually there's a different voice uh, leading each song, right? And, and, and in the preaching, we also wanted to show by what we're doing, just like the worship team is uh, showing each Sunday that we are a collective, um, that we need each other, um, and that we are accountable to each other, and that we can't do it without each other. And that's a part of why we're doing things that way. So I just wanted to let you know a little bit of what's happened there. So today, uh, we're continuing in our uh, examination of Jesus' interactions with different kinds of people. And today, we are coming to a not very nice interaction. Uh, today's passage in John chapter 8, and those of you uh, who would like a Bible, we can provide those for you. We're going to be looking at the, the end of John chapter 8. Um, today's passage is actually about an argument. Um, and it's an argument, if we see the beginning... Um, the first slide, that it's an argument with people who actually believed in Jesus. So, uh, first slide. So, the, our passage begins, John eight thirty. While Jesus was saying these things, many people believed in him. So, Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, so this, this argument actually begins, these are not people who like didn't like Jesus. These are people who believed in Jesus, who said, I responded positively. Some people responded negatively. These are people who responded positively. But quickly, this interaction turns into an argument and a nasty one. Let me show you why, uh, a couple examples of it being nasty. I'm going to read several examples of things people said to Jesus in this argument. So next slide. Uh, we are not like children who never knew who their father was. Um, 
a lot of people think this is a veiled insult. If you remember, Jesus' mother was, a, was pregnant before she was married. Um, and as far as people knew in his town, they didn't know who his father was. And so a lot of people think this is a dig at Jesus personally by saying, we're not people who don't know who our father was like you. Uh, they said, you are Samaritan. We say that a demon has come into you. If you were here two weeks ago when J uh, Jake preached on the woman at the well, you know that there was a lot of what we would call today racial tension between the Jews of Palestine and uh, the Samaritans. And so calling him a Samaritan is calling him a racial slur. They're essentially using a ra what today would be a racial slur to, in, uh, to insult him. They said, now we know that you have a demon in you. Who do you think you are? A nasty argument. But now let's look at the other side. It's not like Jesus was super nice to them. Now that's a surprising thing. Let's, let's look at a few things Jesus said to the people he was arguing against. So here's, here's some things Jesus said. Your father is the devil. You belong to him and want to do what he wants. You don't accept what God says because you don't belong to God. And how about this one? I know him. If I said I did not know him, then I would be a liar as you are liars. A nasty argument. And then look at how it ends. The end of it, um, Jesus says, Jesus, when Jesus said this, the people picked up stones to throw at him. That's, which must be stones. They picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and left the temple. So it starts, you can see, with people who believed in Jesus. They're like, Jesus, yes, I'm in with that. I'm up with that. And it ends after a nasty argument with them wanting to kill him. How did this happen? What could have sparked such a nasty fight? And what would make people who believed in Jesus turn on him and want to kill him? This is important to us, especially those of us who say that we, want, we believe in Jesus. Is there something that could cause such a rift between Jesus and us. Let me pray for us. God, we submit to your word, and we know that none of the words of a preacher or a song or that we speak in our prayers are equal to your words. We acknowledge that your scriptures in the hands of your Holy Spirit can, can speak and cut to our hearts in ways that we can't imagine that are mysterious and powerful. And that's what we long for this morning. Uh, we don't want to come listen to good music or listen to a speaker, but we want there to be a word for us. And we can't do that ourselves. None of us who are leading could do that. None of us who are listening can do that. So we, God, we ask that your Holy Spirit would speak a word to each of us through this sermon, through your scriptures unnecessary in and around and despite um, the things that we do. And so we invite you in and ask, Holy Spirit, would you speak to us this morning? Amen. So let's look at how this argument begins. While Jesus said, was saying these things, many people believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, if you continue to obey my teaching, you are truly my followers. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered, We are Abraham's children, and we have never been slaves, so why do you say we will be free? The fight begins when Jesus says that you can be made free, and they say, What are you trying to say? Are you saying I'm not free? Because I'm a child of Abraham. Don't you tell me that I am not free. So what is this deal with Abraham? So uh, clearly, next slide, they are 
Oh, back up. Sorry. Stay there. Um, they say, we are Abraham's children. You cannot understand this whole passage until you understand Abraham and why the people that was arguing with Jesus thought it was such a big deal. They were really in to Abraham. Now, they said they're Abraham's children. Now, the truth is that everybody involved in the story, anybody around there, they were all descended from Abraham. These folks, the people in the crowd, the disciples, even Jesus, they were all descended from Abraham. So when they said that they were children of Abraham, they weren't just saying a fact about them. They were describing a part of their identity. Now, our identity is not just something that's true about us, but it's something that is true about us that we identify with. There's a little bit more, right? It's true about us, but we identify with it. It's something that we consider this essential to who we are, right? It is something that is a main part of how, of how we label ourselves to other people and to ourselves. It is something that gives meaning to our lives. It's not just incidental, but something gives meaning to our lives. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's, it's an important labeling. So uh, as an example that we see in this world is college sports allegiance. That's one way to look at it. So um, let, me, uh, let me show you a few things. I am wearing this shirt. So when you see, right, so, so, you, right, so you hear, you see who, who's identifying, right? Who identifies with this? And, and it doesn't even have any words on it, right? And we are, we are identifying... So it identifies, and if you see this, you know it's the University of Texas Longhorns. I was speaking for a bunch of uh, UT students, and I bought this T-shirt. Now, the interesting thing for, that you'll know is I hardly ever wear this shirt. I feel self-conscious wearing this shirt because I'm not a Longhorn. I don't identify, and I feel like if I'm wearing it, I'm making some sort of statement, right? Like so people will cheer, or some people will boo, right? Making some statement. Now, what would you say if I showed you um, underneath this? We went on a college tour at the Texas A&M, and, and people at Texas at A&M, the Aggies identify, identify with being Aggies. As a matter of fact, at, at A&M, those of you A&M people know that, that they, there's actually a word called the two percenters for, to describe the people who are not into being Aggies. There's actually a name for what, what that is. And so this is, this is a, how people identify, right? But actually, when, when the Pharisees said they were, they were uh, children of Abraham, they were actually uh, saying something even deeper, <laughs> even deeper than college allegiance. Like, you know, if you're a Longhorn or an Aggie, you can, you can sort of argue about it, but it's good-natured arguing, right? You don't really get mad. Some of you might, but you don't really get mad when someone from another school, like, insults your school. But the, the identity that we're talking about with being really into Abraham, it was really important to them. They were not just descendants of Abraham, but they were descendants of Abraham who really want to make it clear um, that, that they're different than people that were not children of Abraham. But here's how you can tell your identity, by the way. It's not like when you want to be different to people. It's when you know exactly what it takes to be a good child of Abraham, right? So they were not only children of Abraham, but they, they worked on being good children of Abraham. And they knew when they were being a good child of Abraham and when they didn't. And they knew if you were a better or worse child of Abraham than they were, right? That's one way you could tell your identity. Um, you know who's in and who's out, but also even though, for those who are in, you know who's better and who's worse. Let me give you a little brief survey of how identity 
often plays out. When you're young, like a teenager or a kid, your identity is usually in the circle of people that you're with. So the jocks, the nerds, the musicians, and it's, it's those people. And so not only do you identify with those people, but you also know who's like higher or lower in this group, and you want to be higher rather than lower in that group, right? Another thing that people usually create identity when you're young is whether you are uh, whether you are attached or unattached, you know, like whether you have a girlfriend or boyfriend, that kind of thing. That's an identity thing. When you get into your emerging adulthood, like identity often is attached to your work or your family. So again, your significant other, like your, your spouse, or often your children, how, how good a parent you think you are, how good that your children, uh, how good you think your children are doing, or your job whether you have the job that you want or whether you have the job you think you deserve or whether you're doing well in the job or whether somebody else is getting more credit at the job than you, than you are that you think should be yours, right? That's how you can tell your identity. As you move on later in life, even, uh, further in life, it, it can still be any of those things up till then, right? Um, it can also turn into more a sense of what role that you often play. So as you get older in life, you often become really, really attached to my identity is Oh, I'm the, uh, I'm the peacemaker. Everything has to be okay when I'm around. I know how to be nice with, to people and keep the peace. Or I'm really independent. I'm not very vulnerable. Or like for me, like I like to know stuff. It's important for me to be a person who knows something. And if someone tells me, Joe doesn't know what he's talking about, that's something that threatens me because it's important for me to know stuff, right? So it's those kinds of things. As you get older, you tend to get you tend to get like stuck in certain ways that you think about yourself. So that's sort of how identity works. But when, some, when, when, when uh, the Pharisees said, I, we are children of Abraham, they're signaling their identity, and it, it bothered them that Jesus threatened it. So, um, oh, another thing, by the way, in identity, I, I, I've actually forgot. I, this, is, this is one of the biggest. It, especially around here, it has a lot to do with where you're from. So in Texas, like if you're from East Texas or Houston or Dallas, that's a big deal, right? That's a big identity thing. Texans... As a non-Texan, most people are not into their state as much as you guys are, just to let you know. Um, so being from Texas, certainly America. America has always been really into being America. That, those are also parts of, the, uh, of your, your, your identity. And you also know, uh, in some ways, uh, political arguments are all arguments about whether you are being a good American compared to me and whether I'm being a, a lesser or better American than you. Um, that's what those arguments are about. So... Um, Let's see how the argument proceeds, and as we, now that we have the, the, the background, we can read the argument and we'll be able to understand what is going on. Uh, so there are three things I just wanted to point out that we can learn from this argument about Jesus and the Pharisees and being children of Abraham, and therefore about our identity. The first thing is, Jesus did not have any problem with Abraham. No problem with Abraham. He said, I know you are Abraham's children. He says, if you were really Abraham's children, you would do the things that Abraham did. He says, your father Abraham was very happy that he would see my day. He saw that day and was glad. And so, first of all, what Jesus says to us is, Jesus has no problem with our identities, most of them. There are some un unhealthy identities. If, like, if you're like a serial killer, that's not a good identity. Um, but like most of our identities are things that, are, that Jesus doesn't have a problem with. We actually, it's impossible for our, us to go through life without identifying in various ways. No problem with it. As a matter of fact, what this shows is Jesus says, that's good, I'm glad you are that. Um, and actually he says, uh, he says, Abraham, if it's working right, 
being a child of Abraham should point you to me, right? And our identities are things that, that in, the, in an ideal world can point us to Jesus. So he has no problem with Abraham, and he doesn't have problem with our healthy identities, that they should point us to Jesus. They should make us see God more clearly. But the, the two, there are two other things that I wanted to point out as we look through this argument that is extremely important, and this is where the problem is with identities, with being children of Abraham and with any of our identities. So I'm going to read through that argument, and I hope you'll be able to follow it a little bit better now that we've had this groundwork. So, they answered, we are Abraham's children, and we have never been slaves. So why do you say that we will be free? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. Everyone who lives in sin is a slave to sin. A slave does not stay with a family forever, but a son belongs to the family forever. If the son makes you free, then you will be truly free. I know you are Abraham's children, but you want to kill me because you don't accept my teaching. I am telling you what my father has shown me, but you do not do what your father has told you. They answered, our father is Abraham. Jesus said, if you were really Abraham's children, you would do the things that Abraham did. I am a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God, but you are trying to kill me. Abraham did nothing like that. So you are doing the things that your own father did. But they said, we are not like children who never knew who their father was. God is our father. He's the only father we have. Jesus said to them, if God were really your father, you would love me. I came from God and now I am here. I did not come by my own authority. God sent me. You don't understand what I say because you cannot accept my teaching. Your father is the devil. You belong to him and want to do what he wants. He was a murderer from the beginning. He was against the truth, for there is no truth in him. He is a liar, and he is like the lies he tells. He is the father of lies. But I speak the truth. That is why you don't believe me. Can any of you prove that I am guilty of sin? I'm telling, if I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? He who belongs to God accepts what God says, but you don't accept what God says because you don't belong to God. So the first point that Jesus makes is, Abraham is great. But Abraham couldn't free them from sin. Next slide. Abraham couldn't free them from sin. Abraham's great, but Abraham couldn't free them from sin. Let me read a couple verses again. Everyone who lives in sin is a slave to sin. He says, your father is the devil. You belong to him and want to do what he wants. All those things that we take as our identity, they may be good. They may be helpful. But none of them can take care of sin. Now, if you're, a, um, if you're not as a religious person and when you are a, and you're here visiting with us, first of all, thank you very much for coming. And I also want you to, to know that, like, um, I want to make sure when we say sin, when religious people say sin, sometimes we're just talking about the rules that you obey, like you don't obey our rules. So I just want you to know that sin is deeper than that. Like, even if you're not a religious person, all of us have experience of things that we don't want to do, but we do. A word that's common in the world is addiction. So there are, like, of chemical addictions that some of us have experience with, but actually sin is addiction on all kinds of levels. So whether it's a chemical addiction or it's an addiction to a certain pattern of behavior. All of us have this, at times, have this nagging suspicion that, is, that there's something wrong with us. Like, and and it, it's not just low self-esteem. Like some of us have low self-esteem and God wants to heal us of that. But some of us have this real, this real sense of, I know that I shouldn't and don't want to do this but I keep doing it over and over again, and I just can't help it. We have that sense that there's something wrong with us. And our identities, as much as they might help us, cannot do anything 
about that. If you feel like there's the, the nagging deep sense, and not just, again, more than, se- than self-esteem, if there's a sense that I'm frustrated, I'm addicted into patterns of things that I know are not good for me. Your identities, however good they are, cannot free you from that. Abraham can't do anything about sin, and neither can any of our identities. We think that they can. We hope, we hope that if we are good enough parents, then we will be good enough. But we're not. We, we, we hope that if we, just, if, we just, uh, if we just work out enough or if we're disciplined enough, then we can fix ourselves. Or we think that we can take, we can feel better than other people. And this is what religious people do. For, for those of us who are religious in here the, and those of you who are not, I know that you see us this way. We, may, we try to take care of things. When we think that there's something wrong with us, we make ourselves feel better by being more religious and, and thinking that we're better than other people, right? A secret? Yes, we know that we do that. Uh, that th- those are things that we take in our identity. You know that we can even make church our identity. We can say, well, I get in, I'm really involved in church. I go to Bible study. I read my Bible all the time. And all those things, um, they're good things, and we should do them, but they don't fix. They cannot fix what is wrong with us. Abraham is great, but Abraham cannot free them from sin. The second thing, I'm going to read the rest of the argument, um, and uh, we'll, we'll uh, see this the second point. The Jews answered, We say you are Samaritan. We say a demon has come into you. Are we not right? Jesus answered, I have no demon in me. I give honor to my Father, but you dishonor me. I am not trying to get honor for myself. There is one who wants this honor for me, and he is the judge. I tell you the truth. If anyone obeys my teaching, he will never die. The Jews said to Jesus, Now we know that you have a demon in you. Even Abraham and the prophets died. But you say, whoever obeys my teaching will never die. But you think that you are greater than our father Abraham? Abraham died, and the prophets died too. Who do you think you are? Jesus answered, If I give honor to myself, that honor is worth nothing. The one who gives me honor is my father, and you say that he is your God. But you don't really know me. I know him. If I said I did not know him, then I would be a liar like you are liars. But I do know him, and I obey him and do what he says. Your father Abraham was very happy that he would see my day. He saw that day and was glad. The Jews said to him, What? You have never seen Abraham. You are not even 50 years old. Abraham's great, but Abraham could not free them from sin. Secondly, Abraham is great, but Abraham couldn't free them from death. Abraham couldn't free them from death. Now, if you look at that verse, even they admitted it, right? Jesus says, if anyone obeys my teaching, he will never die. And then the people said, even Abraham and the prophets died. So they admitted, like, yeah, death was something that Abraham could not help them with. Now, there's the fact that all of us are going to die. And we know that our identities can't help us with that. But even before that, Death is just the ultimate expression of the fact that there's something wrong with this world. Because even, so just as Abraham could not do anything about what was wrong with them, and our identities can't do anything what's wrong with what's wrong with us, ultimately our identities can't do anything about what is wrong with the world. There's something wrong with this world. There is a broken world that breaks the people that are in it. And as much as our identities, and we, we often use our identities to protect ourselves from that, 
Oh, I'm going to have a really nice family. That'll be okay. I'm going to have a great friend circle. I'm going to be with the cool people in school, and that'll be okay, and I won't get hurt anymore. Or I'm going to be really disciplined, and I'm going to work out and be like a, you know, I'm going to be, be super fitness guy, and that's going to protect me. Or I'm going to get a great job. That's going to protect me from what's wrong with the world. But, it, but it's not. Nothing about our identities, no matter how dedicated we are, no matter how successful we are with it, cannot protect us from all of the things that are broken in this world and the fact that all that brokenness for every person will eventually lead to death. Do you know that nagging feeling you get sometimes that something's wrong with the world? Your marriage cannot protect you from that. Your job cannot protect you from that. Jesus tells them that. But here's what Jesus ends up with, and this is what gets them really mad at the very end. Final slide. Your father Abraham was very happy that he would see my day, and he saw that day and was glad. The Jews said to him, What? You have never seen Abraham. You are not even 50 years old. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was, I am. That's really bad grammar, isn't it? <laughs> Let me explain how this makes sense. Jesus, like, he, he could have said before Abraham was, I was, right? That would have been good grammar. But see, Jesus was saying something a little bit more than saying, I'm really, really old. Way back, more than a thousand years before Jesus, when God reintroduced himself to Jesus' people, they were slaves in Egypt, and God sent Moses to, to, to free them from Egypt. And when Moses was going to Egypt, he asked God, he said, you know, it's been a long time, God. What if they ask me who you are? Like, if I come in and say your God is coming to free you, like, like what if they ask me what your name is? What do I say? And God answered Moses, I am who I am. Tell them I am has sent you. I am was God's chosen name for himself. Um, if you've heard the, 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 the phrase Yahweh that some people use toward, Yahweh means I am. Uh, Jehovah, if you're familiar with that, is actually a mispronunciation of Yahweh, which means I am. Wow. So God's chosen name was I am. So when Jesus was saying, before Abraham was, I am, he was making the craziest claim you could have imagined. He was saying, before Abraham was, I was the one who laid the foundations of the earth. I was the one who called Abraham in the first place. I was the one that in the burning bush told Moses to come, come free you. I was the one that led you into the promised land. I was the one when you were sent into exile in Isaiah would say, your sins will be forgiven and I will make this world right again. And then you will know, and it says this in Isaiah, that I am. Before Abraham was, I am. Abraham could not do anything about what is wrong with you. Abraham could not do anything about what is wrong with the world as great as Abraham is. I'm going to invite the worship team up again and, uh, to help us with our closing. Um, and I'm here to tell you that just like Abraham, our identities, they're meant to point us to God, but they cannot do anything about what is wrong with us. They cannot do anything about what is wrong with the world. As much as we use them to try to, to help us, to try to shield us from those things, to help us forget those things. Before Abraham was, I am. Before UT was, I am. Before AM was, I am. 
before you were single or in a relationship or married or divorced or have a good marriage or have a struggling marriage. I am. Before you got that great job, before you lost your job, before you succeeded, before you failed in your job, I am. Before you are the person that you wished you could be, I am. Before you are the person that seems to fall short every day, I am. Before this world worked great for you, I am. And before this world falls apart, before all of that, I am. Now, if you're a person that, like me, for most of my life, it's worked for me. Like my, my, my identity, what I do, how I think of myself in life, it works for me. And if you're in that place right now, I'm happy for you. But we are the ones that are in danger in this passage. These are not people that are broken down and and, uh, and, and, uh, and, and really down and out in life. Those harsh words that you heard from Jesus are, were usually for people like us. And we're the ones that are in danger because if we think that our identities can protect us, it, they can't. But if you're someone right now where your identities are not working for you, where you feel like, you know what, I've been trying my best or this is what I've been holding on to and I still am face to face with what's wrong with me, or this world is still just not working for me, if that's where you are today, then this is good news for you. Because actually Jesus never spoke those harsh words to people like you. He gives you good news. He says, before Abraham was, before your identities that have, may have failed you, I am. So we're going to take a few moments and we're going to ask Jesus to speak that to our hearts. And those of us that are doing well, it's a challenge. It will be a challenge for us. And for those of us who are struggling, it is good news. It is good news for you, for you, for you for you, that I am. Jesus, we praise you that you weren't afraid to say the hard things, and even and those of us who are really attached to who we think we are, um, that you're willing to challenge us and push us. And also for those of us who are struggling, who know that our identities aren't working for us, that you say, I am, that you can fill those things, that you at last can do something about what is wrong with us. You at last can do something with what is wrong with this world. And so we worship you. We invite you in. We say that we need you. We thank you for listening today and pray that you are blessed by this message. We invite you to join with us on Sundays or connect with us at our website, vessel.church.